Um, we've come to the end, or we're coming to the end of a series. The series actually has been, do you remember the program Question of Sport? They used to have a sort of a game in Question of Sport where they would show a, um, a sporting event and then stop, freeze the camera, and the teams had to guess what happens next. Um, mystery ones like Crystal Palace scoring a goal. But anyway, the thing is, we've been looking at a series of what happens next after this. Um, and from here, I can't read it very well, but basically Jesus was in the synagogue in Nazareth, and I'm going to have to turn to the Bible, sorry. And he said... Um, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He said that. Then he said, today this scripture is about me. This scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So that's what we did in the first block of Luke's um, sermons. We then, over the f last few weeks, looked at what happened next after that day. What happened next? What did happen next? You've all been listening, but just to remind you, we've heard of Jesus preaching, of Jesus teaching, of Jesus driving out evil spirits, of G Jesus driving out demons, of innumerable people being healed by his word, a miraculous catch of fists, pronouncing forgiveness of sin, attracting enormous crowds, and mixing with the outcasts of society. Amazing words, amazing actions. Did he fulfill his portfolio? Interesting, the verse before we started, Beryl started reading this morning, at the end of verse, end of chapter five, it says in brackets, the old is better. Jesus has come to bring in a new age, and yet people were saying, the old is better. I could bring a political point in here about some people saying, perhaps Boris was better, but don't, don't forget that. Um, but here they were. Some of the religious folk were saying, the old is better. Interesting, isn't it? And at the end of this passage we read today, it says, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. In fact, if you read, this incident is in Matthew, Mark, and John. In Matthew, it says, and in Mark, it says, they plotted how to kill him. This man, great manifesto, fulfilling it, and they wanted him dead. Why? Why did they want him dead? What had brought this on? What happened on these two Sabbath days that had caused them so much anger? Next slide, please. It's all to do with the Sabbath. Just as, and the next slide, please. This is from Genesis 2. The word Sabbath is not mentioned in Genesis 2, but the word where it says God rested, I can't see this. Can you see that fairly clearly up there? Is that all right? Yeah. Where it says God rested, that's the same root word that we take the Sabbath from. And here is a picture in Genesis 2. God has in six days or six periods of time created the earth. 
complete. Work completed and he rested. And in Genesis 2, we have this wonderful picture of God and man in the garden, relaxing, enjoying one another, speaking to one another. And at the end of it, it says that Adam and Eve were naked and there was no shame. Wonderful picture of what God's rest was meant to be. Genesis 3 tells a different story. We have then the fall of man. Man rebels against God, and that rest is gone. That picture is shattered. Sabbath's not mentioned there, but I won't. You're, some of you will know this. But the Sabbath picture doesn't actually appear, or the word, until quite a bit later on. It may have been built into the peoples of God's life. We don't know, but it's certainly not mentioned until much later on. All we do know that God begins a rescue plan through the person of Abraham. And he says, Abraham, you will be the father of a mighty family, a mighty nation. And through you, all peoples on earth will be blessed. And so that family grows to about 70 people. That 70 people then, because of bad weather conditions, climate change possibly, they're forced by drought to go into Egypt. And in Egypt they are enslaved, and for over 400 years they are enslaved. God rescues them, they go over the Red Sea, Dead Sea, and they reckon that there were 600,000 men. So if you take that with women and children, that could be well over a million people move out into the wilderness, and they're hungry. And God supplies manna, this daily supply of, of like a bread-like substance. Next verse, please. And here we see a picture of what God says to them. I'm going to have to turn it up. I can't see it on that screen. Let me get a bit nearer to the screen. So he said, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest. First mention of the word Sabbath. A holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it until morning. So for six days, this bread would come down. They'd eat it. On the sixth day, they'd have a double whammy. Because on the Sabbath day, that seventh day, they weren't to work, they were to rest, and they'd already got their food. They hadn't got to go out and pick up the manor. It wasn't there. That's the first mention of the Sabbath. It says in verse 30 of that chapter, the people rested on the seventh day. Now the next verse where the Sabbath comes in, this one you will know, this is in the commandments. So there we are. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. I'm tempted to read it all. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do no work, neither you, your son, your daughter, male or female servant, your animals, nor any foreigner. For in six days, in six days, referring back to creation, In six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. The Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. 
So from then on, the Jews follow, God's people follow that tradition of the Sabbath. So why were these Pharisees so angry that Jesus, what Jesus did on the Sabbath? Why, next slide please. Why the conflict? And I think two reasons. Next slide. Because of what Jesus said. And what did he say? He said, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. The Son of Man is a title that Jesus uses of himself quite a few times. In Luke alone, he mentions it 20 times. So what is the significance of that title? Daniel, in chapter 7, has a tremendous vision of God, who he calls the Ancient of Days. As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were opened." that vision of the ancient of days. He goes on, in my vision at night I looked and there before me was one like a son of man. He was given authority, glory and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. And Jesus is saying, that's me. That's me. Have you seen Jesus like that? The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Authority, glory, sovereign power, everlasting dominion, indestructible kingdom and I'm Lord of the Sabbath I will say what's permissible on the Sabbath see the Pharisees had built up this enormous code of practice about the Sabbath there was one apparently that if they dragged a chair along the earth that might be regarded as ploughing a trough for sowing and on the Sabbath, if people ground wheat together in their hand, they were regarded as preparation for harvesting. So what was Jesus saying? He reminded them that when David and his followers were being pursued by Paul, they were hungry and they were allowed by the priest to break bread. That was not in the law. They shouldn't have done it, but they were hungry. And Jesus saying, my disciples were hungry and the important thing is that people's need is much more important than a religious creed. And they were furious. But Jesus' guiding principle on the Sabbath is to meet need. To meet need. Yes, to keep it holy, but not all these countless, countless rules. Human need more important than religious creed. So they were angry because what he said, I'm, yes, I'm the son 
Son of Man, and yes, I am Lord of the Sabbath. It goes further. Why the conflict? Please, slide. Because of what Jesus did. And what did he do? He says to the man, stretch out your hand. He did it, and his hand was completely healed. See, again, they built up rules about healing. You can't heal on a Sunday and on a Sabbath unless life was threatened. This man had a withered hand. It's quite interesting about this man with a withered hand, isn't it? Because I reckon he, went, he got up that morning, he probably went, like we did perhaps on, on our Sabbath day, our Lord's day, that he would go into the synagogue. I, I don't think he was expecting to get healed that day, personally. He might not have been expecting Jesus to be there to actually be teaching in the synagogue. But he had a shriveled hand, he'd had it for a long time. Interesting, it says the right hand. I don't know if there's any significance in that, but anyway, it was the right hand. But he was coping with it. Jesus was aware the Pharisees were watching out. Was he going to do anything to this man with a withered hand? And so Jesus says to them, is it right to do good or to do evil on the Sabbath? And so he asked the man to stand up. The man stands up. And then he says to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretches out his hand, and the hand is healed. And the Pharisees are angry. Jesus infringed their law. Jesus is more concerned about the man with the withered arm. The man is healed. Human need more important than religious creed. I am the Lord of the Sabbath, says Jesus. I say what's right to do. Okay, so let's refer this now to Serbian 2022. What does Jesus say to us? Serbian 2022. Sunday's a bit different now, isn't it, to when I was a boy. That's many years ago. Um, we didn't have the shops open. I don't think we could go to the cinema. Uh, and, it, you know, Sundays have opened up, aren't they? But overall, in, certainly in the Western world, um, Sunday is still a different day. We are still able to go to church, and most of us go to church on the Sabbath day, on the, on the Sunday. But it is, it is different. But what does Jesus want us to think about that Sabbath day, that Sunday? First of all, I think he says to us, please... Rest, not rush. He's still Lord of the Sabbath. And I think it's very easy, isn't it, for us to be busy, and even now, you never think, oh, I've got to do that, so I've got to do that. And we can rush. It's quite interesting. When Jesus, when God gave the people of God in the wilderness the commandments, it's very interesting that before he gave them the commandments, he said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. They'd been crying out for years, release us from this slavery. And God heard them and God responded. So he says, I'm the Lord that's brought you out of Egypt. I love you. You're mine. You're precious. And I say to you, rest. 
There's the need for rest in a busy life. And we all have it, don't we? There is the need to set aside time for rest. doesn't mean just spending hours in prayer and necessarily reading the Bible avidly for hours, but it does mean spending time with him. Because just as God said to the Israelites, I brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, Christ says, I've rescued you from the power and penalty of sin. You're mine. I love you. So build into your life, perhaps on Sunday, perhaps every day, this getting away and resting. Quite interesting, these chapters we've been looking at. In chapter 4, verse 42, at daybreak, Jesus went out to a lonely place. Chapter 5, verse 16, Jesus often withdrew to a lonely place and prayed. Jesus did it. Jesus went to the synagogue regularly. Jesus went out early in the morning. Jesus often went away from other people to pray. Jesus then says, says, comes, he says to us, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me and you will find rest from, for your souls. We know that verse so well and I, know, I appreciate here that no one's particularly weary or burdened. You know, you're all living fantastic spiritual lives with not, not a cloud in the sky. But we're not, are we? We're not. So Jesus says, come to me. Jesus says, don't rush, rest. The world says, rush, get things done, achieve things. So first, Jesus says, rest, not rush. What else does the Lord of the Sabbath say? Jesus says, relationship, not religion. See, the Pharisees have built up this enormous religious code of practice. If you do this, God will bless you. God says, I will bless you, therefore do this. Anyway, so they built up this awful picture of restricting rules. Religious behavior was likened to a millstone round children's necks, wasn't it, in Jesus' time? Just doing things to please God. See, Christianity is so different to religion. Christianity is a relationship. It's the story of a God who not demands standards so we can please him, who says, look, I've come down to you. Christ comes down to us and says, come to me. And I was really struck, sorry, final thought, half past one. Um, Matthew 23, 13. It's a passage where Jesus is so angry with the, law, with the Pharisees. There's, I think, seven or eight woes about different things. But the one that struck me, which is, I think, in some ways, quite a warning. It's also an encouragement, strangely. 23.13 in Matthew. Woe to you, Pharisees, teachers of the law. You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. That's a terrible indictment of religion, man-made religious practices. 
And the Christian church has not been guilty, I don't think. I can remember when I was a young man, the memory's fading a bit, but you know, I can remember being told, oh, you mustn't go to the cinema, you mustn't go dancing, you mustn't smoke. Rules, 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 rules. And this is what Jesus was cross about. All these Pharisees were doing, building walls, putting pressure on people. And he was saying, you shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. But I thought that was actually an encouragement. Because it means that people that are not trapped by religious practices, but are living in a living relationship with Christ, have come to accept him and are walking with him. It means people that are following that relationship, in that relationship with the Lord of the Sabbath, are opening the kingdom of heaven to men's faces. And I can think of people, I'm sure you can, who have opened your eyes. I can remember, I went to a Pathfinder camp, I had no idea what it's going to be like at that Pathfinder camp, I gave my life to Christ. But I went because the guy who led Pathfinders. And his life was lived in a relationship with Christ. He wasn't in for religious rules. He knew Jesus, loved Jesus. He wanted a whole gang of boys. I think about 18 boys went from the same church. And some of us that night gave our life, or over that holiday gave our lives to Christ. He opened the kingdom of heaven to my heart. And that's what we're about at Christ Church. We don't want to present a picture of a set of rules. We want to present a relationship of faith that our lives might open the kingdom of heaven to men's faces. It's funny talking about relationship, isn't it? We can't see God. Often we don't hear him very much. And sometimes things are hard. And sometimes we fail, don't we? Sometimes our faith is almost a bit withered, like that man's arm. But it's a relationship of faith. And so perhaps Jesus says to us this morning, if we're feeling a bit withered, aware of failure, aware of the need of him, aware of a rekindling of that relationship, or perhaps for the first time entering into that relationship, perhaps Jesus is saying to us, to me, to you, to us all, stretch out your hand. And that man stretched out his hand and he was restored. Jesus is saying it's not about performance, it's about me. It's not about rushing, it's resting in me. It's not about religion, it's about relationship with me. Have you got it? Is he yours? Stretch out your hand, let him touch you again, touch me again this morning. Let's just be quiet for a moment, perhaps the band come up. Father, we thank you for this picture of this morning, these two mornings in, uh, in Israel. Father, we thank you for what Jesus said and what Jesus did. We thank you, Father, that your concern is for hungry people and for people who feel withered.
and your invitation is to come, to rest, and to relate to you. Oh, Father, that's sometimes quite a difficult, complex scenario to, for us to understand and to grasp. So, Father, we pray that you would touch our hearts afresh, that you would give us time this week to spend time in rest with you and rest with other people, that you would give us time this week, Father, to build that relationship with you. Lord, speak, we pray, encourage us, we pray, use us, we pray. Father, may we open the kingdom of heaven to other men's hearts in all we seek to do here as individuals and as a church. May your kingdom be revealed to many, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.